wanna switch your mind or something They tryna play with your crime or something They wanna see you back off of your calling Yeah, they tryna mess with your sign or something For lack of a vision, them people could perish Commit to the crime, even when it hurts Only two things in life you can control It's how you spend time and how hard you work So hard work got first, yeah Hard work got first, yeah Hard work got first, yeah To the day I'm in the dirt, yeah Jesus Christ is Lord, yeah I know who I serve, yeah And my life was hard, yeah All my prayers were heard, yeah Hard work got first, yeah. Hard work got first, yeah. Hard work got first, yeah. Today I'm in the dirty, yeah. Jesus Christ is lost, yeah. I know who I serve, yeah. My life was hard, oh, even then my prayers were hurt, yeah. She said, see, you work too much since I was a kid. I knew I was the one. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the True to Faith podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Steven. We got a special guest today. Um, before I welcome on, um, yeah, there's a there's a part in the Bible that about Esau, which kind of got my attention. So I sought out an author, and I found an author who was gracious enough to give his time. Jason McLean, how you doing, Jason? Oh, so far so good, sir. And yourself? Good, good day. Yeah. So you have a couple books. Uh, the one we're going to talk about today. Is UF how UFOs and Bigfoot prove the Bible is true? Um, I seen you had a few other books. Um, how did you get into this? How did what made you write these books on um, these topics? So, the 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 long and short of it is this: my goal uh, is to is to ask Christians to think biblically, to not really be afraid of the Bible. And having a biblical worldview, and to actually look at our world through a biblical worldview, that's it. That's that's my that's my entire goal. The problem is the modern church doesn't have a biblical worldview. We've happily adopted an atheistic, materialist worldview, and whatever atheists are going to tell us the reality looks like, it's like well, that must be what reality is, because they got white lab coats. Let's re- let's let's forget all the things they lie about. Let's forget all of the all of the evidence that they will cast away because it doesn't conform to their worldview. Let's just suck it up wholeheartedly and reject the parts of the Bible that make the atheists uncomfortable. I agree. My, my entire point is, if we have a biblical worldview, all of the truly weird things actually make a lot of sense in our in our world. It really does. I, it's just a call for Christians to actually have that worldview. And then, of course, it's a call to the non-Christians to say, hey, the biblical worldview does account for all of this, all of the data. In fact, it predicts a lot of what we see in the world around us. If the beginning of the book is true and the end of the book is true, because a lot of my work is also in eschatology, then it's then the middle of the book is what's important. The problem is we, as a modern church, are functional deists and we reject our own text to make other people happy. And we'll use, and we'll, and we'll say things like, oh, no, 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 we just want to maintain our witness to, to the world around us. Well, what are you witnessing to if you're not even bothering to tell them the truth? Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, so that's really what this is about. How I got into it is I saw the impossible. I mean, really, it's like a few years ago, I wouldn't have even necessarily started here, but this is the truth. I saw something impossible. I couldn't believe it. And finally, I just realized if no one else is going to talk about this, once I sort of got verification that I wasn't nuts, it's like if this is true and no one else is talking about it, then I guess I'm going to have to. So did you see a Bigfoot or did you see a UFO? No, actually, I saw a living pterosaur. Really? In Texas? In Texas. See, and I I believe you, like, and like you just said, Christians, like, preachers don't want to talk about fallen angels. They don't want to talk about flat earth and the firmament, which blows my mind. I mean, it, it says it right in the Bible. And, you know, people think we live in this mundane, boring world. But the truth is, I think our reality is closer to you know, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, like God made these crazy things that, you know, people can't see. Like they're just so caught up in their day-to-day life 
They don't want to see the wonders, the true wonders of the world that, you know, God put here. Well, I will. Okay. So I will say this, I'd not to get off on it. I'm not a, I'm not a flat earther uh, as an artist. Who's a little, who's a little, well, I'm, I just can't, the arguments for it fall flat for me. Okay. I think, I think the universe is far more interesting because the Bible doesn't actually teach a flat earth. It teaches a flat, a flat cosmology. And that's a very different thing. In fact, that's, we actually see that in physics today that our that our that our 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 the plane of existence that we live on is flat not that the earth itself is flat the problem is we don't look at the again going back to the bible we don't have a biblical world view we don't understand what they were talking about half the time we put our world view on theirs and that and that leads to a lot of misconceptions i would argue one of the big one of the reasons we have so many denominations is we try to look at the Old Testament through a, through a Western New Testament lens instead of realizing we're supposed to look at the New Testament from an Old Testament lens because it's a, it tells us what Jesus was doing, why he came. Why? Great example. Why does Jesus appear on the beach after his resurrection? Because they sure. were out fishing, and what do they see? They come back. Jesus is cooking fish on the beach, right? Yeah. But he doesn't eat that fish. He eats food. He asks for food from them. Why? I'm not sure. And you've ne and I guarantee you've never heard anyone talk about this at all. And, and it connects to why he shows up to Thomas and tells because remember, he wouldn't let um he wouldn't let Mary touch him. But he's like, no, Thomas, you touch me. Why? What is the curse of the Nephilim in the book of Enoch upon their death? When a Nephilim dies, they are they are condemned to roam the earth as un uh, as uh, untouchable spirits, essentially. Right? They can't. And the thing is, they will hunger and thirst. They can't eat. They can't touch anything. They can't eat anything. They can't drink anything. Thomas touching him proves that he's a physical body. Him eating food that they give him shows he's not Nephilim. Because wouldn't that be an immediate uh, an immediate uh, accusation from those around him saying, well, he claimed to be uh, the son of God. He claimed divine heritage. He, he had supernatural powers, and now he's resurrected from that. He, he must be a Nephilim spirit that you're dealing with. But he's like, no. I can't be a Nephilim spirit because I'm touch you can touch me and I can eat food. That proves that he was a physically resurrected body, specifically human, and that he did not and that he was not connected to the Nephilim. Because so much of what he did goes after the Nephilim spirits. That's what the demons were. Why yeah. why why does Jesus spend so much time casting out demons? In the New Testament, that's not anything we ever see in the Old Testament. Well, because the Nephil, because demons are the are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. What was Joshua's job in the Old Testament? It was to drive out the Nephilim and the yeah. Nephilim tribes. He didn't fulfill that. Jesus fulfills everything the Old Testament prophets and heroes were supposed to do in their entirety. He is driving out the Nephilim with with his out of Israel, out of the out of the righteous. That's what he's doing. He's showing because his name was Joshua. Yeah. We keep it as Jesus so that so that when we talk about him, we're not saying, well, no, not that Joshua, this Joshua. It is we keep it as Jesus because it is a transliteration from the Greek version of of Isu. But the the simple fact of the matter is. His name was Joshua. And it's obvious to people reading it at the time, oh, he's doing what Joshua did. He's driving out the Nephilim. But we miss all of those connotations because we don't read it that way. We don't have an Old Testament worldview. We don't have a biblical worldview fundamentally. And that's why we're afraid to deal with the with the people today. And that's why I would I would suggest a lot of Christians end up doing things like being uh they become depressed. They they get again not all mental illness or anything like that is a demon, but I think we are far more 
controlled demonically than we even realize because we leave ourselves open to these things and we leave ourselves open but to deception because we don't even call out evil when we see it because we don't recognize it as evil yeah because we don't have a biblical worldview i don't care what bigfoot is right but it is a piece of the pie I don't care what the, you know, what any of this stuff re- is ultimately into itself. It's not an end, but I care that they show that these are pieces of a pie that makes much better sense in a biblical worldview. And when we look at all the data, it's very clear that they come from, that they fit into a biblical worldview and not the worldview that the world is trying to put on us. Well, that's the thing. Like with Bigfoot, I was always fascinated with Bigfoot. And, you know, I hear people's accounts of how they cloak, they they come, they go, you know, and then I hear things of, you know, people see a Bigfoot and then they go home and then they start hearing the Bigfoot and things are being moved around. And, you know, I, I didn't know what Bigfoot was, but I don't know, it, you know, I just always thought it was something evil or something, you know, I, I really didn't know what it was, but I definitely... You know, it sounded like polka dice, you know, experiences. And mm-hmm. so, and then I, like I said, I, so I, I recently had a spiritual awakening. I always believed in God, but I was living in sin. I didn't try to live like Jesus and something happened due to my sin. And I found Christ again. And I've been trying to read the Bible and learn as much as I could. And like I said, I was reading Genesis and, you know, they were talking about Rebecca having uh, Esau and Jacob and that he was hairy and red all over. And I was and it was two types of beings or something. And I was like, you know, I was at work and I'm hearing this. I was like, what? I'm like, that's yeah, it's crazy. So that so that's OK. So that's a theory that gets thrown around a lot. So here this is one of the other things I'm trying to do in the community. Right is have a better conversation about the Bible with those who I, 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 I'm trying to be very polite here. There, again, going back to the idea of a lot of people using a Western 21st century mindset and trying to read the Bible that way, particularly the Old Testament that way, right? We put a lot on the text that isn't actually there. Okay. And we're trying to look for explanations and solutions to problems that don't really exist. We don't necessarily need to look at something like Esau because Esau's he's what he's Jacob's child. He's he's Rachel's child, right? Uh, or Rebecca's child. I I'm terrible with names. That's why I write everything down. Um, like we don't need th- to read anything into it outside the fact that just one was more grass. Yeah, you know, wouldn't you know? They just look very different. They're twins, but they're fraternal twins. That's really as far as it needs to go. We don't need to look for for Bigfoot and Esau and uh, a lot, a lot of people, you know, I get people telling me things all the time, like, Oh, well, what about the, in fact, I just literally did a show with someone and I point out, you know, you see these pictures of higher of these, this one thing where it's like, look, here's a helicopter and hieroglyphs, right? Do they read hieroglyphs? No. Then how do you know that's actually a helicopter and not what it really is? It's a, it is a sign. It's literally a sign on a, on a temple. And what's happened is you have two different pharaohs, Seti and Ramesses, have just put their names on it, and they've written over. As Ramesses came along later, had it filled in with plaster and had his inscription put on it. And what's happened is the plaster's fallen off, and so it it that right there, the letters are overlapping when you look at it and you know what hieroglyphs look like. You're like, oh, I can read that. It's like if you know if you had taken. You know, it's like if I came and scrawled over, you know, serupapers.com over your truth to faith podcast sign, people would say, oh, Jason came and scrawled over your sign. Because we could read both sets of letters, right? Well, hieroglyphs work the same way. But then we have people come and say, no, no, this looks like a helicopter. Therefore, it must be a helicopter. Or this looks like this. Therefore, it must be this. And we don't actually try to understand it from its own perspective and concept, right? Uh, Michael Heiser very famously said this, and it's, and it, it's a you bristle at it at first, but you have to understand what he's saying. Read the Bible like it's fiction, meaning it's not saying he was not saying it wasn't true at all. What he's saying is when we read fiction, we expect to see things like themes, metaphors, 
we expect repetition of thought. We we expect to when we look at it from a literary perspective, we we actually read more of the text because there's implied text. G, great example, and I, I'll come back to Esau here in a second. This is because this all connects. In Matthew, Jesus goes. He's uh, yeah, he goes. He's baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. He goes out for forty days, is tempted by Satan. Um, really, and he goes out to the place where Azazel is. And then he comes back and he in the next scene is what the Beatitudes, where he goes up on a hill and he gives 10 commands. And then he goes immediately into that after saying, I'm not here to abolish the law, I'm here to fulfill. Right. He talks about Moses. Why? If you read that, he's they're telling you that he's the new Moses through all of that. Right. He crosses the Jordan. He goes out for 40 days, i.e. 40 years but he faces off against Satan, right? He comes back, which means he crosses the Jordan. So he's back in Israel now. And he goes up. He is he is walking out the life of Moses because he's the new Moses. And everyone picks up on it because this is why he goes into, I'm not, you know, I'm here to, I'm not here to destroy, I'm here to fulfill. When we read the Bible, if we read it under with from a literary, if we have that idea of, hold on, we're looking for literary concepts here right? It's not a newspaper. It's not a textbook. Don't read it like, don't read it like you just picked up the New York Times because you shouldn't be picking up the New York Times. It's not even good for lining bird cages. Read it the way it's meant to be read. Read it in its context and understand that we see repetitions of themes here. Don't try and put modern Western materialism on the Old Testament or the New Testament, look at it from its own perspective, and things become very, very clear. Is there a place where the where Bigfoot may actually show up in the Old Testament? Yeah, actually, two different places. There's there are those who would argue that the Nephilim are that Bigfoot is a form of Nephilim. I don't necessarily ascribe to that, but I want to. I will get back to Bigfoot here in a second. It's for what I think it, it it really is. But that's one potential. The other one is in Job. It talks about the sons of fools. These are people who bray like donkeys, eat mallow roots, and live in dry riverbeds. That sounds an awful lot like Bigfoot. We also have weird other things all throughout there, but we don't need to find Bigfoot in the Bible or any one thing in the Bible to for this thing, you know, for something like Bigfoot to validate the Bible. Here's how it does that. Because I know everyone's saying, get to that point. How does Bigfoot prove anything about the Bible at all, right? Well, let's start. Let's take one big step back because I never move forward. What is the uh, what is Bigfoot? Well, here's the problem. I think we have too many things in one box that we're calling Bigfoot. Because on one hand, we have like what you're talking about, these beings that are clearly paranormal. But then we have these stories where it's just an ape thing walking around eating pigs and crossing roads, right? We have two very, very different and distinct sets of phenomena. The problem is we keep calling everything Bigfoot. Mm. And that's our big problem. We don't have, like, there is a, there, the theory I'm working with. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm 30 seconds away on any given day and saying it's all paranormal and walking away, right? Uh, but with Bigfoot, it's like we have material evidence of it that we don't get with other paranormal phenomena. The problem is we have a lot of accounts that have no physical that have no real physical evidence that's very clearly paranormal phenomena, right? If you wake up and there's a seven foot tall, dark humanoid figure with red glowing eyes at the foot of your bed, it's a demon or a shadow person, right? But you unzip your tent and you see the exact same thing. It's Bigfoot. If something is following you home hundreds of miles and showing up in your in your living room or leaving rocks in your living room. Is that really Bigfoot? If it's talking to you telepathically, I'm sorry, that's not Bigfoot. So what if the real issue here is we have a, uh, there is perhaps a, a, a relic population of hominids wandering around, very intelligent, and they're just going about their day. But it's a very, very small population, right? Highly mobile. Like most large primates, they don't have 
nests per se. They they have bedding areas, and they move constantly like big cats, right? Uh, most people are familiar. You know, there's you're not going to just find. Oh, hey, that's where the panthers live. They they migrate. You know, they they have this this large area. If they're let's imagine, let's say that's what's happening. But then we have this other paranormal phenomena that wants us to think it's Bigfoot. And we are making and we're calling it Bigfoot. So it's happy to appear as Bigfoot to, to people. Why? So that would be the first question is, OK, well, why is that? Why would they want us to think it's Bigfoot? C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters very famously said, I'm going to butcher it, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. Essentially, the goal would ultimately be to be create a materialist witch, right? Someone who, who, who believes in the paranormal or the supernatural, but doesn't actually consider it to be supernatural. If you think that there's an ape man in the woods that can talk to you telepathically, and follow you home and you can communicate with and you ascribe all of these supernatural powers and instead of coming to the conclusion that it's supernatural it's oh it must just be a an ape that has superhuman abilities then at no point do you consider i'm dealing with a demon hmm. and what happens anytime someone sees a bigfoot a bunch of people get up and they run out there and they spend time out there studying and researching for it. We do calls, we knock on trees and we do all these things. We leave presents for them. Yeah. Well, where's the, so let me ask you this question. Where's the line between worship and research? No. I, and I agree fully. Cause like when, when I listen to these Bigfoot podcasts and mm -hmm. you know, they're talking about, like you said, they're out there, they're gifting they're, um, it, it is, it, it's almost like they're making them idols for sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we look at, we, we make little, well, that's actually a Chewbacca, but like we make little things, right? We sell yeah. all this Bigfoot swag. Bigfoot is a real, and, it, and it's all of it. All of cryptozoology in many ways is just a religion for people who don't want to have actual religion. It becomes the, their identity. Now, a lot of people say, no, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm like, okay, well, how much time do you spend in church versus Bigfoot? How many images do you have of Jesus or crosses versus Bigfoot? Right? It's yeah. kind of clear who you, you know, who are you actually worshiping here? Now, Again, I still think that there is a physical creature walking around. This is how it would validate the Bible, and we can get back to the original point of how does the how does all this weirdness validate the Bible? I do think there is a physical creature walking around. I think the evidence is very clear that there is a physical creature, but again, very small population. Well, okay, well then, what is it? Whatever it is, it's a relic hominid. It could be any number of things from the past, but the point is it's not something that's supposed to exist now, according to mainstream science, right? Guys in the white lab coats are telling us the earth is billions of years old and these and, and, and all these great giant uh, animals died you know, tens of thousands of years ago. The dinosaurs died out millions of years ago. And what we call cryptids, the material ones, are just relic populations, relict, not relic, there's a T, um, are relict populations of animals that were supposed that had supposedly died out tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of years ago. They are living evidence that the flood did occur. That's all they are. And that's why they're the why modern science rejects all of it, because they understand if there are dinosaurs running around, if there are these Pleistocene era animals running around they got a problem because you can't have these creatures remain living and remaining largely unchanged if they're not actually extinct because that that is a number like right now they're still trying to cope with the fact that we find uh that we that we've that we're finding soft tissue in dinosaur bones they're still coping with that because it's they know it's not possible the problem is they know we know that's not possible yeah so cryptids validate the Bible in that way. They are things that 
the science tells us are supposed to be extinct for millions of years or tens of thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years, depending on which cryptid it is. The problem is they're still around. And that makes a lot more sense if the flood only happened three or 4,000 years ago, right? Depending on which timeline you go with, I'm rather, I don't care. If it's been within the last 15,000 years, right, that this flood occurred, and everything and a lot of these things survived, then that means the Bible is true. Do, do you understand there's no actual evidence for the Ice Age? Yeah, because, I, th I think a lot of that stuff lies in, like you said, I, I used to think it was about 12,000 years ago, the flood, but I'm, I'm starting to think it might have been, like you said, it might have been, you know, three to five, three to six yeah, I'm, um, I'm more of the, you know, close to 4,000. But, I mean, the simple fact of the matter is I'm – whatever time it occurred is, is fine, right? I don't – like, that's that's a different question as far as I'm concerned. But did it occur, right? The, I, the Everyone's like, what do you mean there's no evidence of an ice age? There's no evidence of an ice age. In fact, literally, we have papers written in the uh, 18th century uh, where there was this big call in the amongst the French socialists. They said, hey, we need to disprove the Bible. Well, we have all of this evidence of a flood, right? Like erratics, these massive, clearly uh, water uh, smooth boulders just sitting in the middle of fields, right? And they said, okay, we have all this stuff that's, that has traditionally been pointed to as evidence of the flood. Can we, can we create a theory that disproves the flood and accounts for all of these geological formations that are obviously created by water? And so the theory was ice. That's why every time you see pictures of woolly mammoths, they're in ice. You know, these woolly rhinoceros are running around on all these ice fields. But it's like, but hold on. Their fur, because we know, because we found frozen mammoths, their fur wasn't good for insulation. It's the same kind of fur that you, or hair, really, that you would see on like uh, a Sumatran uh, orangutan, right? Mm. They live in very hot, very tropical. It's there to protect. It's not there to protect them from the cold. And by the way, we have them frozen with summer grasses in their mouths. That means when they were frozen, it was summer. So these aren't cold temperatured creatures. They were warm temperatured creatures that froze to death pretty quickly, too. Yeah. Right. So the thing is, there's no evidence for the Ice Age. There's plenty of evidence for a cataclysmic event. Very recently, relatively speaking, within the last 5000 years that altered our planet and that everything we see today is descended from survivors of that event. So and that the more abundant wildlife are the ones that could adapt to the new environment that others did not adapt they remained the same and they look very strange to us because they've remained the same like pterosaurs or maybe bigfoot assuming that's what it is and not an ethylene but the other way that bigfoot proves it goes back to the whole point of but a lot of this stuff isn't bigfoot it's clearly not bigfoot it's or let me rephrase this it's not a material creature it's clearly a paranormal thing that is using the guise of Bigfoot to get our attention so that we'll spend time with it and not fear it. A lot of things that people attribute to Bigfoot are attributed to Fae in the old world. A lot of people talk about how, oh, look, here's evidence that Bigfoot was here because these horses' manes have been, have been twisted. They'll literally call them Bigfoot braids. Well, that's cool but a hundred years ago most cowboys called them witches braids and in ireland and in europe they were called fairy braids hmm. i can't tell you how many times i hear of people telling me that oh well bigfoot lives in caves and in this weird cavern system we can't find under the earth you mean like fairies what? not the fairies that we see in in disney like most people when they think fairy they think oh it's the disney things no 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 True, the, the original legends for the Fae, they weren't small. More often than not, they were normal size. They were spirits. Really, the line between the dead and the Fae was not that hard and fast. In fact, they, it was very clearly all sort of the same thing. They were just spirits. 
But where was the where was the fairy world in the earth where you would go and you would lose time? You would be given things that would turn into this is where the term of fairy dust came back, right? They'd give you gold or whatever you'd leave, and then eventually it would just be like a leaf or at least turn to dust in your hands. Right? That that's every big that's half the Bigfoot stories that are out there when there's real genuine interaction, right? So, oh, and it was and they live underground and they they can move through walls and but they knock they bang on the walls of your house i'm like okay but that is all what's attributed to the fae in europe classically how often do people go into the earth they go into these cavern systems they find these massive things and it's like oh it's the it's the skeletons of the nephilim and these big chambers in the earth okay great but then they go back and they can never find them that's that's the fairies that's the fae right this all has this very long connection to the, my point is that's the supernatural. We're experiencing it today, but we're using different names so that we don't recognize it for what it really is. The supernatural that we live in a world where there are supernatural beings that are deceitful and they want to affect us. They want access to us and we're not putting up any red, red flags at all. We're not worried about it. We're not reacting to it. We're just like, yep, no, that's, yeah, fine. Here, let's come on into my house, strange glowing-eyed creature. Talk to me telepathically. Tell me your secrets. Because an eight-foot-tall ape-man that you can't get a picture with, not one of these people, I know, again, I love these people, right? I I have friends, people I love dearly who who claim to talk to Bigfoot telepathically. And I'm like, okay, why don't you have a picture? If you're talking to this thing, right? Why don't you have a picture of you and the Bigfoot doing this? Like where, <laughs> where's your selfie with the thing, right? Yeah. Why is the best photograph you can get of it is a super enlarged uh picture from your cell phone and you have to draw a red circle around it. I have seen actual researchers bring back some of the best photographs in the world, some things that haven't been released yet. I've seen them. There's a good reason to think there's a material Bigfoot. The problem is a lot of what gets passed off as evidence is pareidolia. But the problem is you're telling me something was there. There's nothing in this photograph at all. But you're saying that there is because you were there and you were talking to something. What do you call something that doesn't show up on film properly and talks to you telepathically a ghost well but what's a ghost everyone's like well it's the, it's a body it's a disembodied yeah, spirit right it's like okay well hold on why you're t and by the way any good ghost hunter will tell you they lie they will tell you straight up spirits lie to you okay th th there's a pattern here <laughs> right this is clearly a pattern but, but the problem is we don't look at it biblically. We're not coming at it from the idea that there are demons that run around because we'll say in the modern church, we believe in all the in the supernatural, but we don't actually believe in the supernatural and we don't prepare for it and we don't expect it to interact with us. You go out. It's almost like the people who like take DMT trips. Yes. Like you said, they call them theories. They lie to them. They, you know, they tell them what they want to hear. They tell them you're a God. And I'm so glad you said it. And, like, I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not the smartest person. That's why I reach out to an expert. But uh, you nailed it. Because, like, I hear these podcasts and these people, they're like, oh, just, you know, sit down and pray to the Bigfoot. Ask them to come into your life. And I'm like, I just can't believe I'm hearing it. I'm like, and they're saying they're Christians. You're inviting this, you know, this figure that you don't know what it is. You know, mm -hmm. so to hear you say that, it like makes me happy. Like people need to wake up and realize they're being fooled. Well, yeah. And that's the whole point, right? Is that if you have a biblical worldview, you understand, you understand that there is the supernatural. It is real. It wants to interact with you because it's not on your side. The things that are good angels. And again, I, I, I don't shy away from using term angels. The problem is, I, again, modern Western Christianity has a very, very superficial view of the supernatural. No pun intended. 
it's very naive and it's very it's 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 it is lacking in any real nuance but for the use of the word angel is fine angels will tell you what they are if they want you to know what they are oftentimes when they interact with us we only re recognize it in in the past tense that it was an angel because they came out of nowhere did something did something to ha to help us and we're like well hold up what's going on here right and then they're gone if they're actually talking to you and it's like hey this is what's going on they tell you what they are they don't have to entice you to keep coming back they don't promise you things they're not negotiating with you the only thing that does that are demons because they have to Demons need our authority to interact in our world. Now, there's higher Elohim, like there just are, right? That again, are fallen. They have their own agendas. They do their own things. But to a point, they still need a certain degree of authority to interact with us. There is no, and this is where this will pull into the whole UFO thing, because that's a multi-layered facet. Let's focus on just the stuff that's truly bizarre. Do you know there's no evidence, there's not one story of any Christians ever being abducted by aliens? And by, 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 uh, by Christians, let me be very specific. I don't mean someone who called themselves a Christian, but showed up for Christmas and Easter. I mean, actual spirit-filled believers for whom prayer was an important part of their life. Not one. Now, there is one story of one woman whose name escapes me at the moment that everyone likes to throw out there. It's like, well, hold on, but this woman was a Christian. Ah, but here's the problem. She wasn't abducted. They invited her on the ship and she accepted. She accepted the invitation. That's not an abduction. There is no story. There is no account of a biblically, of a true biblical Christian ever being abducted. We have people who were vaguely christian meaning you know they, they weren't actually christians but they were culturally christian being abducted and calling on the name of jesus and having the abductions end we have hundreds of accounts of that we have hundreds of accounts of people who were interacting with with these aliens and going and having all the associated paranormal phenomena like shadow people happen in their lives and using traditional christian exorcism practices and it stops we have hundreds of accounts of that. We don't have a single account of a true biblical Christian being abducted. Cultural Christians, people who show up whenever and they're like, yeah, I mean, I guess I believe in God. Okay, but do you believe Jesus was the Messiah who, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, rose again, paid for? I mean, yeah, well, maybe in the, in the, he's the only way to God. Well, maybe there's other ways. to God. Again, no true biblical Christian has ever been abducted one account and she got on there voluntarily that's not an abduction everyone else everyone else was not a christian but you talk about that in the in the community and they're like no 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 i don't want to you know that that's all craziness but why that's just as valid why is it that i have tons of stories of people going through what are clearly clearly abduction experiences but the creatures involved aren't aliens they're bird people that she saw dancing on a cistern, or they look like an actual demon, or they look like Bigfoot. I got plenty of stories like that. It is a textbook missing time abduction scenario, but it, there ain't no aliens around. There's no spaceship. But they don't want to talk about that. Why? Because it's clear that it's not what it appears to be even john keel jacques valet they all th these very early ufo researchers said look whatever these things are they aren't what they're appearing to be even nick redford will tell you this is the, the dudes on again i know him personally he's a friend uh we disagree on this topic but he'll even say look uh the ufo phenomena doesn't really look like extraterrestrials it looks like something else right um yeah. yeah he's more of a he's more keelian um and again let's go back to is there a historical precedent for these ufo abductions yes they're again it's the fey it's all the same thing and i'm i'm a big fan of venn diagrams and pie charts particularly pumpkin um you know it when you have a venn diagram of something 
and you have all these things, but the they start overlapping a little bit, I'm fine, right? Everything's going to have overlap. Deer, you know, uh, behaviors of deer and wolves overlap in many cases. That's not to be unexpected. My problem is when the Venn diagram becomes a circle, I got problems. If the only difference is what the things look like, then maybe none of you are seeing it correctly. That's my problem, is that we have all of this clearly supernatural phenomena, but we won't look at it from a supernatural perspective because that makes our modern Western sensibilities uncomfortable. The church doesn't want to deal with the supernatural because we don't want to look crazy to people who believe the universe spontaneously blew up 14 billion years ago and on an October, uh, on a Tuesday in October. And now all of a sudden we've got cars and smartphones and, and sloths, right? It's like, you don't want to look crazy to them. These are the same people who are going to believe that gray aliens are actually interdimensional beings that want to mind melt with us. Uh, and we should give all of our power uh, to one man that we should worship and we should all get implanted with, with marks and, and chips. Like these people are going to believe all of that and you don't want to look crazy to them. Yeah. Like that's like, why don't you stand on the Bible? Why don't you actually stand on biblical truth? Why don't you believe the world is the way God tells you the world is? Because it's scary. Because fundamentally, we're not Christian. And this is what I mean by that. You claim, as Christians, we claim, we believe a supernatural being supernaturally created the universe, filled it with supernatural beings, supernaturally, super, you know, in. You know, superintends all, all of our world, sent his own son, a supernatural being, into a material body, performed supernatural miracles, crucified, resurrected supernaturally, supernaturally ascends to heaven, sends us a supernatural being to live within us as the Holy Spirit to guide us and to perform miracles and to, to give us wisdom and strength and cast out demons. And the one thing that we have trouble with is the supernatural. If you don't believe in the supernatural, do you actually believe in the Bible? Mm. I would argue you don't, which is why you don't read it, which is why you don't actually try to understand it, which is why you try to make it mean what you want it to mean, because it makes because that makes you comfortable. Mm. The Bible is a mirror. The problem is we want to darken that mirror real hard because we don't like what we see in it. Yeah. And the thing is, that what it see, what we see is that we need help. We are not the masters of our fate. We are not the masters of our universe. We are totally dependent and that there are things out there we can't stop ourselves from. My 44 mag is not going to stop a demon. It's not going to stop an Elohim. It's not going to stop these things that are actually overseeing things. It's real easy for me to get to, to feel all righteously indignant, indignant at Nancy Pelosi and all these other evil politicians it's for me to just, oh, I'm so much better than them, instead of realizing they're doing the bidding of their master because they're not saved. There but for the grace of God go I. Mm. These people who have the power, they've sold their soul to get there. And they are doing the work of their masters. These 70 or 72, depending on which translation you go with, spirits that oversee the world. The ones that God gave us over to. That's the entire point. Why do you think the number 70 keeps showing up throughout the Bible? Why does Paul? Oh, Paul isn't creating any new theology ever. He's just pointing back to old theology. And he's explaining it from and saying, this is how it applies to us in a Christian world. Why was Paul so convinced that the Gentiles were always part of the plan of salvation? This wasn't a new idea. It's because it's always there. Why does Jesus send out 70 disciples? On their, on their first mission, because he's telling Satan, I'm coming for my people. Mm. I'm coming for all people. That's the message. That's why the number 70 keeps showing up, because that's the number of, of Elohim. The, again, you can say, you can argue it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a metaphorical number. That's fine. It doesn't matter. The point is that that number is ascribed to the spirits over the nations. We the most modern translations are wrong because we use the Masoretic text. Uh, that's why I'm a big fan of the uh, oh uh, English Standard Version, the new one uh, that's come out, is because it uses archaeology. 
for the text, but Deuteronomy 32, Michael Heiser was, was real big on pointing this out. The Septuagint and other uh, and other versions say that it, mankind was apportioned according to the sons of God. The Masoretic text says the sons of Israel. Well, sons of Israel doesn't make sense because that didn't exist at that point. Because it's clearly talking about the, the, the Tower of Babel incident where God divorces humanity. Why? Because that's that number 70. It's, it's telling us God is always coming for all of us. He's here. But that also means that all of these systems, all of these world systems, all of these big powerful centers of power are under supernatural control why could satan offer up the world all of the world's governments because he owns them mm. we see their symbology and do you think the united states is any different do you think because no. again until jesus shows up we're still under those spirits now and this is where the kingdom matters unless you're a christian again why why are no true christians ever abducted because they don't have legal authority in our lives because we're part of a kingdom, a real legitimate. This isn't a, the kingdom of heaven is not a theological idea. It's not a hyper. It's not a, a literary idea. It's not a concept. It's a real legal thing in the universe. And we don't recognize that we have that power, that we have that authority. We don't see ourselves as strangers in a strange land. We see ourselves as Americans or British or Scandinavian or Colombian or Ugandan or whatever. We don't see ourselves as kingdom of heaven in this world as ambassadors and kings and priests. If we did, we'd behave very, very differently. And that's really the point. If the world is weird and we have dinosaurs still running around and, and giant ape men things running around, regardless of what they are, if we have these supernatural beings, they're trying to portray themselves as something else to make us more comfortable with them so they can create hybrid, hybrid creatures to rule us. That's all straight out of the Bible. If that's the world we live in, then the Bible is true. And darn it, you need to get into it because it's telling you what you really are and how yeah. to survive it and how to interact with it, which is you don't. You recognize it for the evil that it is and you move on. You protect yourself from it. Not in fear. If everyone's like, oh, so he cares. I'm not really anything. I call myself a Christian because I don't like most of these. I'm non-denominational, not because... Because I think everyone finds like one really good idea and they focus on that one idea and they reject all the rest of it. God's bigger than that. I'm not a universalist by any stretch. No, I'm a biblical Christian. But I think a lot of the denominations have gotten so tied up in these one ideas that they try to make the whole idea. No, because we're what we're doing is we ultimately argue like five levels above the text. We're not arguing about the text. We're arguing about what somebody said, somebody said, somebody said about the text. And that's what we're breaking up and arguing over. Instead of saying, what does the text actually say? What does it mean? Why don't we start there? What is, what is God, the creator of the universe, trying to tell us about the world we live in and how to, and how to live? I do think, as much as I have a lot of uh, vitriol against the, you know, the, the broader church for not believing the supernatural, I also have the same vitriol for, the, for charismatics who, will, who are often afraid of the supernatural. They live in fear of the supernatural. I'm like, that's superstition. No, understanding that it's real. You know, there's a difference between understanding that it's real and interacting with it in, in an appropriate way and being afraid of it. I'm not afraid of these things. When I go out with my friend, uh, with, uh, with my friends, we research at Brown Springs. I'm not afraid of any supernatural thing. They're the hogs and the meth heads. I am, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but like, because the supernatural doesn't affect me. Why should it? It has no authority. I don't give it authority to mess with me. I'm there for the material things. And again, it's real hard for me to think that there is a physical Bigfoot out there because of the experiences that I've had. And people, they'll tell you, I'm things don't happen with me. I have other Christian friends who are recent. They're like, y'all are talking about orbs and stuff flying around. She goes, I don't see any of them. Like, but there's one above you right now. She's like, I don't see it. It can't interact with us if we're Christians because it has no authority. Don't give it that authority. Mm. I'm so you you articulated that so well like gee everything you just said like I started seeing these things and I want to make a podcast and like I said mm -hmm. I grew up really poor I didn't really do a lot of school but I've been trying to have people like you you just summarized everything that I wanted this podcast to be about 
Like you just, you nailed it. And I, I really think people need to wake up to like what you just said. We're not Americans. We're not, the, we're, you're, you're either Christian or you're, you know, you're with Jesus or you're against them, period. Yes. And like you said, people need to wake up. You need to realize the power you have in Jesus. And, you know, I've been doing that for a while now, the last year. Like, I don't watch sports no more. I, I can't get into it. Now that I mm -hmm. know the truth, I, there's just no interest in that stuff no more because I understand it's of the world, and I don't want nothing to do with it, you know? Yeah, it, well, it's there to distract you. Again, exactly. there's nothing wrong with, you want to go play football? Go, go have a good time. The problem is it's a they've, we've turned it into a replacement for worship. That's yeah. what it is. What are you spending your time on? What are you spending your money on? What do you spend? Why is it I can ask you who the outfielder is for the, you know, for the Rangers in 1993? You know that off the top of your head. I ask you who Hezekiah is, and you're like, I, I don't know. Because one, you, and I'm ashamed of that. I am. I'm very ashamed of that because, and God put it on my heart. Like you just nailed it. I could tell you who was the third baseman for the Red Sox in '93, but say something in the Bible, you know, and I, I don't have a clue. And I'm trying to get caught up now. Um, like when you were talking about Jesus and the food, I, I haven't got that far because I mostly just read uh, like the resurrection and the, the leading up. But I have to lead, I have to start reading the after part because I haven't uh, read that yet. Mm -hmm. But I do. It. I, I feel ashamed. And I don't want to feel that way because I, I had met Jesus. I had a spiritual awakening and I just felt so dirty. I didn't feel I felt not worthy. And when I meet him again, hopefully I, I don't want to feel that way. I want to say I tried, you know, I don't want to feel like dog crap. <laughs> well, first of all, the only way we can feel around Jesus is like dog crap. Yeah. If you're honest with yourself. Because that's the entire point. My my what my favorite things in the world, in scripture outside. Okay, Ecclesiastes is my favorite book, but my favorite one of my my two favorite things in the Bible is at Jesus's trial when he comes out and quotes Daniel eleven right about you know coming on the or seven one it's I think it's eleven he talks about you know coming on the clouds right and the reason I I love that scene so much is. He knows why he's there. This is a kangaroo court, right? They're there to to create at false evidence and have him cru and have him crucified. He knows why he's there, and they're in, in all the accounts making it very clear they're screwing it up. I can literally just see it in Jesus's head, just sitting there, like, do I literally have to do everything for you people? Hey, I'm actually God, and they're like, see. We don't need any more evidence. He just admitted that he thinks he's God. He's blasphemous. He literally had to step in at his own kangaroo court to get himself convicted of a crime that he's not guilty of because he is God to save us. Every element of him, of his existence, of him saving us, our salvation is not, there's nothing we do to deserve it. There's nothing we do to earn it. And there's nothing we do to cleanse ourselves. It is him. It is that dependence yeah. on him. And he shows it in that scene right there where he's like, I got to do everything for you stupid people. I'm God. <laughs> We're good. Can we get this on with? I got things to do, places to be, right? Yeah. Other little thing about that scene, when the, the priests are are calling him a blasphemer and striking, it's very, it's very specific. They striked, they were striking him with their open palm on his head. Why is that? Why is that important? The scapegoat, the high priest would pronounce the sin of Israel and put his hands on the scapegoat, and then it would go out to Azazel. They are literally reenacting the scapegoat in that scene when they're calling him a blasphemer and striking him with the palms of their, of their hands in his head. He is... Every, everything you see in Jesus's life is connected directly to the sacrificial system. All of that was to show us who he was, where he was going, what he was doing for us. All of it. Even Barabbas. Barabbas means son of the father. 
he is standing in for us. He was our scapegoat. He is the he is the the lamb sacrificed from the beginning of from the beginning of time. It's all right there. The other thing, my other favorite part is um, Revelation. I always forget if it's nineteen or I think it's nineteen, nineteen or seventeen. One, I, again, why write everything down? Jesus has returned with his army. I think it's nineteen, and Satan is bound in chains. Jesus doesn't bother chaining him up. Michael doesn't chain him up. Is it Gabriel or Uriel or any other named angel? Nope. It's two angels, stunt angel one and two, show up, bind him, and cast him into the abyss for a thousand years. The angels that do it are not anyone that we, we have no names for them. Jesus doesn't even interact with Satan. That's how unimportant he is in reality. One of my favorite movies of all time is a Sylvester Stallone movie called Oscar. It is a comedy. He plays a 1930s uh, rum runner who tries to go straight, and this is like the day he goes straight, right? It's worth the watch. It really is. It's hilarious. But the end of the film, the titular name of the character is Oscar, who finally shows up at the end of the film. Sorry, spoiling a 30-plus-year-old <laughs> movie now. Again, it's worth watching, because. but the scene is he shows up, and... At a wedding, very ironically, which is why I love it. He shows up at, the, at a wedding. And of course, Stallone looks over at his men and says, get rid of him expeditiously. And these Goombas just pick him up and carry him out sideways. And then the wedding goes on. Like he just walks in, he busts in. There's the wedding happening. Everyone turns around and Stallone's like, get rid of him expeditiously. And then just these other guys who we've never seen before show up, pick him up, and just carry him out. The door closes, everyone turns back around, the wedding goes on as planned. That is Satan. He is so unimportant that he doesn't even get an archangel to tie him up. And, and It just takes two just normal, everyday angels. We're not even told their names, because Jesus doesn't even address Satan. He doesn't need to. It's like, get rid of the trash. And just some random angels are like, boss says you gotta go. And he's gone. <laughs> We are, we live, most Christians live, we live either ignorantly and which is ultimately out of fear of Satan because we don't want to look crazy to the, again, crazy people, or we live in fear of Satan. Neither is true. Yes, he's real. Yes, he runs the world for now. But we serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Praise the Lord. When he shows up, Satan's taken out because he's just trash. He has no real power. He has no real authority <clears throat> and anything in power, any power and authority he has is temporary and is allowed only because Jesus hasn't shown up yet to take it back because he's by, he's giving us time to repent. He's giving us time to get it right. Because if, as soon as God shows up to, to fix everything, all of the evil goes away. And everyone, when everyone, people say, why does God allow the evil? You think he won't start with you? Yeah. You think he won't start with you? You say we say it because we don't realize how evil we really are. Yes. Because we want to hide all all of this stuff makes us uncomfortable because it's true. And again, I go back to if the beginning of the book is true, that's creationism, that's cryptozoology. Again, the paranormal stuff is also part of that. And then you have eschatology. I focus on the beginning of the book and the end of the book because those are true then the middle of the book is true. And that's where the really important thing is. And that's what we, and we, we reject the beginning and we reject the end. So we don't have to deal with the middle. Mm. Again, I don't care what Bigfoot is, but whatever it is, it validates the worldview, regardless of what version you want to go with. I think both are probably true. Yes. There is a physical creature walking around, probably some relic uh, population of Gigantopithecus or something along those lines. Just a highly intelligent ape, just doing its thing. But it's not supposed to be here. Saw a pterosaur. That's not supposed to be here. Lots of people have seen them. They're not supposed to be here. People see things that are supposedly, that are supposedly been extinct for thousands, if not millions of years. Why? Because it didn't happen millions of years ago. It only happened a few thousand years ago. Because we all did live together. We lived, That world was destroyed in a cataclysm. Again, 
if Genesis is true and the things we're seeing today in uh, in the world today are literally playing out what's in the book of Revelation and Daniel and others, then the eschatology is true. If the Bible can knows the right beginning and, can, and is correctly foretelling the end, then the middle is what matters. And the middle says you are a sinner. God loves you, sent his son to die for you, resurrected for you. You are part of a kingdom of priests, and you have real power and real authority on this world because the person who runs it is Satan. But it's mm. coming to an end a lot sooner than you think. And we have to keep our, ourselves focused on that, and we represent him in this earth. The other reason we're uncomfortable with it is the same reason we put Paul and Abraham and Daniel on pedestals. Why do we say, oh, I can't be like a Daniel. I can't be like a, uh, a David. I can't be a Paul. I can't be any of these people because I'm just me. And those were great men. Moses, let my people go. The Bible goes through so much time and depth to tell you these people were just crap. They were afraid. They were scared. They were weak. And they do this so you don't put them on a pedestal because the reason we put them on pedestals and not recognizing them for what they are is so that it abdicates us of our responsibilities in the world. Yeah. Because we look and say, no, I'm not. Uh, Moses, let my people go. Moses was a coward. It's very clear. God nearly killed him at one point. He's like, screw it. I'm going to start over again. But here's the thing. We ignore all of that because as long as they don't look like us, then we don't have the responsibility to do what God has called us to do. The second mm. you realize that all of these men and women were men and women like you, like me, frail, flawed, cowards, uh, egotistical, any sin you can imagine is there on display and they don't shy away from any of it. Why? Because we're supposed to see ourselves and recognize it is not how good we are. It's how good God is. And if God's good enough to help to use those people, he sure is good enough and powerful enough to use you and me. But we shrink, but we shrink away from that because we don't believe the actual text. Again, Amen. my work, my only concern with this is that we have a biblical worldview on all of it. That's it. That's my call. I don't care that, you know, it's like, yeah, let's, I'm happy to talk about how the United States government wants us to believe in UFOs. And, and that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. They want us to believe in extraterrestrials and aliens. They've been actively manipulating us to believe that. Okay. We can have a conversation as to why. I don't care what the phenomena itself is because it's there. We can deal with it from a biblical perspective. The question is, does it disprove the Bible or does it prove the Bible? Well, if you look at the actual evidence, the real evidence, it's very clear. It validates the Bible because it's true. And if it's true, then you and me, we got work to do. We got authority in Christ. And we sure as the world shouldn't be afraid of things that get, they get kicked out by stunt angel one and two at the end because they have no real power. They never have and they never will. Amen. Jason, that was a great interview. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Will you just uh, real quickly let people know where they could find your books or where they could, uh, if they want to get in touch with you or look up what you're doing, where could they find you? Uh, well, right now I'm sort of in between some things. Uh, I got some new projects coming out, uh, hopefully next year. Uh, but yeah, you can find most of my stuff on Amazon. Just there's a couple other Jason McLean's running around, but if you look up uh, how UFOs and Bigfoot prove the Bible is true, you can find my author's page. You can find all the things I've done on there. Um, Serverpapers.com is up, but it, unfortunately I had some server issues. So I'm gonna have to start over from scratch on that. Um, but it's SIRUpapers.com. Uh, I've retired from creating my own content as a podcaster uh, recently doing a terrible job of it. Uh, but you can find me at Siru uh, Papers on YouTube and Jason McLean Questions Everything uh, for some videos. But hopefully sometime mid to late next year, I'll have the Christian Paranormal Perspective coming out uh, that'll go into a lot of detail on all of this and actually give you, because uh, How UFOs and Bigfoot Prove the Bible is True is a very, very short book. It was It's a primer. It's more of a booklet. 
it was designed to be short so that people can read it and say, oh, how I can go investigate this myself. I can go research this myself. That's all it was designed to do. This one, though, is going to be a lot more intensive. We're going to show how the United States government has manipulated us into believing about you into believing UFOs, specifically ancient astronaut theory. We're going to give you how uh, evidence on how to dismiss ancient astronaut theory for the lie that it is. And then also give evidence for cryptids and the paranormal, and then also show how the biblical worldview validates them, or they validate the biblical worldview rather, and how to and how to live in a world where these things are true. What are the conclusions we should reach? Because one of the problems is the church doesn't want to deal with any of this, so so many people are falling prey to it in in researching it because the people who are talking about it are all pagans. So. Yeah. It's sort of, that's sort of a problem. Like even the Christians who are in there have been a lot of Christians I've noticed have been deceived by dealing with this stuff because they're not dealing with it biblically. Because again, like you, like most Christians, they're like, well, hey, why you know my my pastor hasn't talked about any of this, so they try and marry what the world is telling them with the Bible, and the world tends to win out in those cases. So we want to give a a, a good framework of understanding. So that you aren't deceived. Yeah, and I, I got next year. I got deceived a while back. Exactly, what you said the ancient alien things that took me away from God for a while. Luckily, I got myself back. Well, through His grace, obviously. But uh, you're welcome here anytime. I'd love to have you on again um, when your book's out. If you want to come on and talk about it, I would love to have you on. And I appreciate your time. Thanks, Jason. Oh, no problem, man. Appreciate you. All right. God bless you. Have a great, great day. You too, man. All right. Bye. There is no distance. I cannot be covered over and over. You are not defensive. I'll be your shelter. I'll be your armor. I I hear the whisper on